It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 92, In Isolation. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. And we have Kay Savitz as a guest. That's a familiar name. Hello, sort of. Hi. Sort of. So how are you doing, Kevin? Or excuse me, Kay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good. I am A-OK. Um, <laughs> uh, see what I did there. No, yeah, I haven't heard your, your guys' uh, voice for quite a while. Well, I know that many of our listeners will recognize yours. Um, so you've gone through this little bit of a, of a name change, moniker change. We were yeah. talking about it briefly before we started recording. It sounds like it's quite the, uh, uh, well, you called it a process. I would have called it a pain. But. Yeah, well, it wasn't, it didn't put much thought into it, frankly. So it's, uh, the whole thing is, uh, anyway, I decided, I, the, the short story is uh, I've never, after 48 years of being called Kevin, never, never really enjoyed that name. So I uh, decided to do something about it and just called, decided to, to give myself a nickname. And that is K-K-A-Y. And so um, I'm not going to change it legally or anything. But as I said on, on Twitter, I'm, I'm not going to change my passport or anything, but I'm doing it where it matters, like, you know, online on Twitter. <laughs> so, um, But apparently there are a lot of places because yeah, just, in getting, just in getting started here, you, you came up and... You just don't realize it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just it. starting here, it's like Kevin has joined. It's like, well, okay, sure. And I had to figure out how to rename it. But I mean, yeah, Zoom is not a big deal to me, but um, well, I Like your Google account might be. Yeah, my Google account is. And... And now, first of all, let's see, the first thing I did was I set up, I went to my my email provider, which is pair.com, and I created a new account, which is K-A-Y at sabbats.com, which is an alias for my real email address, which is Kevin at sabbats.com. And, and then I, so I did that so I could receive mail. And then I went into uh, Gmail and had to be able to, I want to be able to send from K at sabbats.com. And so I think I'm doing that most of the time, but sometimes the emails are, say they're from Kay and sometimes they say they're from Kevin and I'm not really sure why yet. And then, but my Google account is still called Kevin, even though I really thought I had changed it, but it's still calling me Kevin. And when I logged into the Google doc just now, you said you see Kevin. So yep. Yep, you are listed here as Kevin. It's, if Google says it's true, then <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. it's stuck. <laughs> Right. Um, so I, I, so I t- changed my email and I changed Twitter, uh, which it's really easy, actually quite easy to change your Twitter username. So I went from at Kevin Savitz to at K Savitz. And then the trick that I learned is after you do that, you can create a new Twitter account with your old name. So I created at Kevin Savitz again. And then there's just one post, which is a redirect link saying, hey, I've I I find that kind of scary. And I I say that because it implies that uh, Twitter handles are available instantly once Mm -hmm. they've been released. Mm -hmm. That makes me uncomfortable. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, definitely didn't advertise that I was making the change before I (laughs) 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 threw some Twitter sniper in there. Um, (laughs) And then then just, just since when I say on this podcast, you know, or any other podcast that I'm on, uh, my Twitter address is, is K Savitz. Well, is that, that's not good for radio. Is that K-A-Y or is that right. just letter K Savitz? So then I created another Twitter account, which is just letter K Savitz. And there's, again, there's one post that says, nope, you got it wrong. I'm over here. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. Yep. Yeah. So um, between that and my various stupid Twitter bots that I've, I've created, I feel like I have just way too many accounts now. Um, let's see, what else have I... I had to change. There was something else uh, major too. There's email, there's Twitter. 
Uh, there's Google, apparently. I have to figure out what I'm doing right, doing wrong there. Yeah, and there's just like a million little places. Oh, the other thing was, was my laptop. Uh, it still says uh, Kevin's MacBook Pro. And it's just like, I would love to change that. But then it, it, I know that just changing one's username in a Unix environment is near impossible, you know, <laughs> so. Right. Um, but I that could, sounds like it's the description, not the u- actual username. Right. Part. Yeah. But when yeah. I go into, into terminal or whatever, it still says, uh, you know, Kevin's. Ah, so that it. might yep. be that, that forever. So anyway, you know, it's, it's not, throw a big, it away. not a big deal. It's not, I mean. Yeah, time for a new, la- time for a new laptop. Yeah. Just throw the laptop away. <laughs> I think that's oh, what you need to do. That's what I have to do. <laughs> yeah. See, it's not that hard. <laughs> You, tell you needed an excuse. You're welcome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, then I I upgraded to uh, my laptop was actually was actually acting weird. It was just sort of randomly shutting, not shutting down. Just like going to sleep, just taking little naps. Um, and <laughs> you know, if I, so I figured that uh, I finally would upgrade to Catalina. Uh, is that what it's called? Yeah. And. Uh, so I, I did that without really thinking about too hard about it. And then like a, an app that I, I use all the time for, for another podcast I'm on, my, uh, the Zoom app for, not this Zoom that we're using, but it's a pro app for uh, playing interactive fiction Infocom games. Uh, it's not upgraded for, for 64 bits. So suddenly in the, I'm in the middle of a game that I've been literally playing for two months and uh, suddenly it doesn't work and so I'm just like, mm. so I found another way to play it, but it's not compatible with the same fi- with the save file that I made in Zoom. So I had to basically start the game over. And so yay, everything computers are great. Everything's great. For the record, you need to go to System Preferences Sharing, and right at the top there, that's where your like, you know, Kevin's Mac computer name is sharing okay sharing i know it's weird but it's because that's the that's the name for like sharing over the network back in the days when that was the only time you needed a name for your computer Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so and it's kind of stuck with it so yeah but but you're not the only one it's not the obvious place now today in 2020 to go and say go to sharing to change your name right like what I was expecting you to Sharon. I don't understand. <laughs> Sharon, go to Sharon. Why would Sharon now? Who is Sharon? How does she know so much about this? <laughs> Sharon knows your Sharon. name. <laughs> you have to go to Sharon in HR to change your name. Stop Just calling never... me Shirley. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank anyway, you. I'm, um, I'm doing that right now. Let's see. Let's watch everything crash as I do that. Right. As the yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> so I thought you were going to come back with a way for him to play his game in, in Catalina. Uh, you get you go to the used Mac store, buy an old Mac, <laughs> and you play it on that. Well, like we said, he needs a new computer. I didn't think it would be a new old computer, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's actually great. I mean, I have a like a 2010, you know, 17-inch MacBook Pro that I keep around, I had kept around to play with stuff that only worked in like Lep- Leopard and earlier on Mac. And now it's great because it, it also supports these old 32-bit apps if I happen to need it. Um, and uh, yeah, my solution for that. So did Sharon let you change your name? Sharon did. Uh, she uh, was was uh, personable and quite responsive and said uh, it would take a uh, Three to six weeks. <laughs> File the paperwork. But she would let me know as soon as that was done. 
Yeah. Awesome. Not that not that any of us have ever worked in corporate, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, well, speaking, you know, it's a good timing. Let's go ahead and move on to a couple of the stories we brought in. Um, the thing that struck me this week, um, as you might expect, I am a member of a couple of Facebook groups of Microsoft alumni, and there's one called Microsoft Old Timers, which are basically both alumni and current employees who've been there for a while. And somebody asked a really interesting question that coincidentally showed up in, a, uh, in the press as well. And that question was, remember, this is from a Microsoft person. Um, why is it all about Zoom? Uh, why isn't everybody Skyping? Uh, and when you think about it, you know, if we were to predict today, if we were to, to have you know, predicted what would happen during a pandemic, say five years ago even, uh, or 10 years ago, uh, we would have assumed that, you know, online calling and, and online videos and, and group calls and all that kind of stuff would be all about Skype, all about Skype. Was Just, 20 years ago, it would have been, see you, see me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and it's not. In fact, it's amazingly not. Um, it's it's, it's um, excruciatingly not. It really is all about Zoom. Now, um, you know, a little behind the scenes, we did just experience a little bit of a Zoom problem. But Zoom itself has been getting all the press. You've been seeing all the classes being done with Zoom. Uh, been, you know, just even just regular family stuff has been getting done with Zoom. And it's been really, really interesting. The litany of complaints that showed up again in that Microsoft forum uh, was basically, you know, the app hasn't been updated. It's hard to use. Zoom is really easy. You send somebody a link and they click it. Yep. Uh, and it just, I mean, it, it really does hit the, um, the emergency demographics really, mm -hmm. really well. And uh, so far, at least, uh, Zoom seems to be working more or less uh, for the vast majority of people that are running into it. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. I mean, everyone is, is using it. It seems to be the one that has the, the most mind share. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and compared to Skype, I mean, yeah, Zoom is easier to use. And, and Skype is changing all the time. And in a kind of a Microsoft-y way that, you know, there's a new feature or we move this button and people don't like that. You know, you want to teach grandma to use this, then it's got to be one click easy. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I discovered, I always was under the impression, and this is the way it used to be, Skype was peer-to-peer. -peer. In other words, uh, you know, whatever you were, whatever bits your copy of Skype was sending were going directly to uh, the other person's Skype. It was a peer-to-peer -peer system. And in fact, that was part of its original uh, novelty. And I suspect it was probably part of its original success because peer-to-peer -peer meant that there was nobody in the middle getting in the way, disintermediating anything. Uh, the bits could travel faster and the net result was a higher quality audio or video call. Um, as it turns out, apparently it no longer does that. Apparently everything is going through Microsoft's servers these days as well, which I thought was And the NSAs. And, well, and, and that's, you know, that, that's the conspiracy part of, the, of our story is that, you know, yes, is, is, there, is there somebody listening in? Uh, certainly one of the more or less popular articles I've had in the past on Ask Leo is exactly that. Is somebody listening to my Skype calls or my Skype calls being recorded? Um, to which the only answer I can give you is you're not that interesting, so probably not. But um, is the technology there to be able to do it? Yeah, kind of. But as it turns out, 
um, in a slightly related um, uh, departure from the discussion here, uh, Zoom is facing that same issue. Uh, Zoom claims end-to-end encryption, which would imply, uh, like the data between our three computers, the three computers that we are using right now to record this podcast, um, is all somehow encrypted so that nobody in the middle can, uh, can see it. That actually turns out not to be true. Uh, the, the connections we each have are to the Zoom servers and the end-to-end encryption, they tap dance around that by saying, well, it's encrypted at both ends. In other words, they're just using regular old TLS or SSL uh, connections between my computer and their server, and then their server has a separate TLS connection to, uh, to Kay's computer and a separate t- TLS connection to Gary's computer. So it's encrypted at both ends. It just happens to have this little trip through Zoom's cloud, as they called it, where it's not. Uh, which again, you know, that's it, it doesn't bother me, but it's the kind of a thing that would certainly bother the conspiracy folks among us. And again, would not allow them to strictly answer this question of, you know, could anybody be listening? Well, theoretically, yeah. So yeah. But it's been interesting just to, you know, from a, from a historical perspective for someone that's been pushing Skype for so long and using Skype for so long. Um, it's like the, the phrase that I used was, you know, the revolution was supposed to be Skyped. And it ain't. I think uh, one of the main advantages Zoom has is you only need to have one account involved in the conversation. So I could talk to somebody using my Zoom account. They don't have to have an account at all. Right. You know, they they just need the link. They just need the link. They can go in. They don't have to create an account, give their name, set up a password, nothing. Yeah. Which is really useful. And in fact, I'm looking, I'm still trying to figure this out, but I'm trying to connect two people and opposite ends of the world who have very little tech know-how. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm trying to do is basically I start a Zoom conversation up and I get them both to join it. And I then I kind of walk out of the room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, because it's, it's difficult. Like uh, I've, one of those two people has, has Apple products and FaceTime, which is very easy. Right. And they, they're FaceTiming with all sorts of people, even though they know very little about technology. But the other person is just has a Windows computer, and that's it. So there's no way to link via FaceTime with them. Um, and they really, you know, unfortunately, are not at all set up for video chatting. And there's no way to actually do it in person now. I can't go over <laughs> and, you know, work in their house and right. set this up for them. If I had known, it would have taken me 15 minutes, you know, like two months ago. I could have had it all set up. Here, click this, and you could talk to people. But unfortunately, there's really no way for me to do that now. The closest, the closest thing you could do um, is what I would do in your situation. I'll put it this way. Is you could have that person download and run uh, the team viewer executable. There's actually yeah. a specific team viewer executable that is just download this, run it. It'll show you a number. Tell that number to the other person. Um, and that person can perhaps that's still computer. a lot. There are and it is still a lot, but it's about the 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 lowest common denominator that would then allow you to both set up whatever you want to set up on right. their machine, and then give them a quick tutorial about okay, here's how you run Zoom, or here's what you need to do to, to initiate be, the calls. That could be the the you know one solution. There are still you know Kay mentioned CUC me, and there are still <laughs> websites uh, that you could just go to and. You don't have to set up a counter or anything. Uh, 
So I was playing around with a couple of those that seemed just to work. You go to a web page, it asks for permission, access the camera, access the microphone, you know, and give a name to your room. And then you're, you're in. And if somebody else goes to the same named room, they're in and they could chat. So that's probably what we're going to do. I mean, it's frustrating because they don't even have Wi-Fi. So what do they have? They just have a direct wired connection. You know, they're, DSL so or some kind of DSL. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cable modem company just basically 15 years ago, just plugged it into the back of their computer and, and that's what they've got. So they've got no Wi-Fi. They have no devices that have Wi-Fi. They don't have smartphones. There's no iPads or anything like that. So there was never any reason to set Wi-Fi up for them. Uh, but it would have been nice if they did have Wi-Fi, I could have left an old iPad on their porch. <laughs> and then they could have, and I could have just had the one icon in the middle of the screen, you know, with FaceTime. <laughs> Click this, yes. Yeah. And, but I, you know, unfortunately that's... I don't understand. You set it on fire first or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to stomp it out? What? How does this work? I don't understand. Yeah. It's an April Fool's prank. I'm real confused. <laughs> Put it in a brown paper bag on the porch. <laughs> Someone left an old, an old iPod here. Yeah. It only holds 10,000 songs. It's funny. There's there's another app that's apparently really really popular right now uh, called House Party. Have you guys heard of it? No. Yeah, I, I have. Um, I don't have looked into it much though. But. Well, and it's supposedly one of the alter, you know one of the approaches that people are using to have multi person video conversations. I honestly don't know if there's even like a, a a desktop kind of version of it. I think it's just a mobile app, but um, it. It's coming under scrutiny of all things because the claim is that people who have House Party installed on their Android phones are having their Android's phones then hacked somehow or some other account is getting hacked. And the the folks behind House Party have said, okay, no, that's just, no, it's not us. That's not happening. In fact, we offer, I think they said like a million bucks to anybody who can prove it has anything to do with our application, which... um, um, is both kind of ballsy, but um, uh, you know, the last time I made that kind of a uh, um, a thing many you many lost years a million ago. dollars. <laughs> well, it was a twenty dollar bet. It was like, okay, fine. If somebody can find a problem with my algorithm, um, you know, I'll just give you twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. And it took like five minutes. I mean, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> just that bad. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But like I said, house party might be something else to look into at least. So it's, it's like a it's like a, a, a drop in with friends sort of thing. Come and go live. I don't know. But, but it's an app, though. Yeah. They don't have anything they can install an app on. Right. Well, like I said, there may be, there may be a desktop version. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, you know. Are you I just know with- that it came up in the news like, you know, Zoom is really big. And, oh, by the way, there's this house party thing that's not a business app. It's more of a friends app. But, you know, it's, it's making the rounds, too. Are you familiar or have you talked about Marco Polo? No. No. All right. That's an app that my friends and I have been using since – we've been using it a lot more since uh, the – the quarantine thing, but we were using it beforehand. Uh, basically, it's like video chat, but with the asynchronousness of email. So I can record a little video um, about what I'm doing today or ask a question to a friend or whatever, and I can send it to a friend or a group of friends, and they get a notification that I have recorded a video, and then they can watch it when they're ready and then send a video back. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Is that just Snapchat? It's private. Mm, yeah. Snapchat's publishing 
But I don't know. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't you can say to, you can say you can yeah. Snapchat. To these are these are these are private conversations um, that basically instead of writing an email or a, a text to a friend, it's just a, a video thing. Oh, here, and here's my dog and and whatever, and you can and then they can watch it later. Um, you know, I've been enjoying it, but it's not. It's not real. It's all, it can be real time. I mean, I can watch something while at the same time that uh, Ken, my buddy Ken, is is recording it. So you know, maybe with a couple seconds lag or whatever. But and then, but it's not meant to be like house party where it sounds like you have to be there in real time. This this could be watched an hour later or the next day or whatever. So interesting. Well, I just I'll you know. For, what the heck? If anybody uh, listening to this podcast has a favorite video chat or communication style app that hasn't been mentioned, or if you have positive or negative experience with, with, with what we have, um, you know, drop a comment, drop us a line, let us know what you guys are playing with. Um, it'll be interesting to, uh, to see what other things, because there's tons of them out there. There really are. Um, and like I said, the, the biggest surprise for me is, is not that there are so many alternatives, but that Skype just doesn't seem to be one of them. Yep. Gary? Yeah, so uh, another story that's come out this week that's kind of interesting is it's actually nothing new. It's something that I've been, I've had mixed feelings about for years and years and years. It's, it's a rare issue that I see both sides of. Um, so archive.org, the internet archive, has a section. They have many different things that they do. And one section has been this library that they have. And they've made a change that's in effect until June 30th. But let me tell you what it's like normally. Normally, here's the deal with the, the library at archive.org. They solve the whole prop copyright problem of you know letting you read books online by simply getting a book and owning it. You know, archive.org owns it and they scan it. And then they make it available online, but you have to take it out. So it has to be available, and then you have to take it out like it's a library book, and then you have that copy of it. And then you return it, and now somebody else could take it out. So there's a physical book somewhere that was purchased that's sitting there, nobody's reading it, you're reading the digital copy of it and only one person at a time. And there's a lot in place to make sure this stays like that. Like, for instance, you have to use the secure uh, book reader that actually, uh, you know, you log into it, it decrypts the file, you could read it only in the secure reader, and there's no way to export it and, and things like that. And then the secure reader knows that, hey, it's due, you know, it's 14 days are up, it's due and it gets returned, and now you can no longer access it. So seemingly a great way to get around borrowing books online uh, without having to actually physically ship the book somewhere. However, what they did uh, last week was they said, due to the national emergency, we are going to change one little thing, and that is you don't have to wait for somebody to return a book for you to borrow it. So they could have one copy of a book now, and you could read the scanned copy, you know, as many people as, as want to read it can read it. So one book, 400 people can take it out, check it out of the Internet Archives library. And the idea is it's a way to um, pass the time, to be educational, to, you know, have people access more information, all that kind of thing. While there's a national emergency and they say it's going to go on that way till June 30th, or if the national emergency is extended past then, they'll continue doing it. And the first few people to write about this said, yay. And my initial thought was, yay, you know, this is great. This is fantastic. 
Um, and I was browsing through it. I even took one book out and was just looking at that book. And then uh, the old issue of copyright kind of came back into it because a few authors, uh, some well-known ones, uh, saw these articles and said, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> this is just piracy. Uh, if anybody could read it, now it's no longer tied to a copy of a book. And basically, they're just they're no different than pirated books. And a bunch of authors asked for takedowns, you know, take my book off the service. Others just called it, he called them out and said they shouldn't be doing this. I had one uh, person um, actually email me about it because I had talked about it and said that they're not happy that their book is on there. Uh, and, um, so anyway, it's a weird issue. I've always, as a book author, who's, I've got about 40 titles, um, but I haven't written one in a while. Uh, you know, I've always felt weird that you can go to the library and take out one of my books, um, and you're getting the benefit, but you didn't pay me anything for it. And then what's even weirder is there's used books, you know, and as the author, I make money off the original sale of the book, but if somebody you know, trades it in at a used bookstore, and then another person buys it from a used bookstore, I don't get a penny of that. And now a second person is benefiting from my book without actually paying me anything. And the, con the conflict really is that for many years, I owned a used bookstore. Uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was actually, you know, my wife's used bookstore. I was, you know, we, we owned it together. It was, you know, but it really come down to hers. But I mean, so I had, you know, loved used bookstores and now we had our own used bookstore. Yay. And then I, as a book author, I was like, I hate used bookstores. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird thing. And, and that whole same issue of whether it's used books or library books kind of comes up again. I love Ben Franklin's original you know, thoughts of like having libra free libraries available. So uh, knowledge is for people that have money and all, but at the same time as a book author, and many of these authors that are complaining about it now have been saying things like, this is like a really bad time for authors. A lot of authors, they make a very low amount of money. It said something like a median income for a book writer is $20,000 a year uh, for book writing. But a lot of authors make appearances. They give talks and speeches and things like that. And that becomes almost their main income, more so than the writing itself. But they can't do that now. So they're just relying on people buying their books. And now suddenly Internet Archive says, have them all for free. So what do you guys think? I think I'm reading a copy of Sam's Teach Yourself Flash MX Action Script in 24 <laughs> Hours by Gary Rosenzweig. Well, good luck since Flash is dead. <laughs> Enjoy that book. Um, hmm. I, I love Internet Archive and I love what they do. And I think that... In I, general, me too, yes. In, yeah, and I give them money and, and I have nothing yeah, good things too. to say about them. Um, I believe in general, their open library uh, thing is is smart and although it may need to be tested in court i think that the idea of having a book in storage and sharing digital copies of of that book one at a time completely legit and not hurting anybody and except people who want to get butt hurt um now their their thing that they're doing now where they give unlimited copies of books it's it's a that's a lot more questionable in my legal mind as a as a non-copyright expert and, and, and author. Um, it's interesting because it does kind of sort of make sense. I mean, 
it's an emergency, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, the more things we can do to uh, support the folks that are stuck at home, um, the better off we as a society will be. Um, but you're right, that comes at, a, at, a, at an interesting cost. <laughs> I think also like, you know, for musicians, for musical artists, you know, they make a lot of their money off of touring and they can't tour now and all. So they've got, you know, just their music sales. But, you know, a lot say that they don't really make much money off their music sales, but the more people listen to their music online, the more people will come to their shows, the bigger venues they could play. And that's where they make the real money. And you could almost argue, you know, there is a silver lining for authors that, you know, especially if you've written several books that maybe somebody discovers one of your books during this time when they're looking for something to read and they become a fan and then Mm -hmm. they end up buying other of your books or which which can happen with a, with an ebook that you're first of all, I mean, reading a book in your browser is not, isn't that, these aren't even Kindle books. These are, no, but you, could, you know, you could do it on the iPad. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, but reading yeah. a book in your browser is not as good as, as holding a book in, in your hand. But, but certainly many people might theoretically learn of an author or a book or something on open library internet archive and go, Oh, this is great. And then buy books later or go see, go to signings or speeches in the future. I think for most authors, for most everybody uh, in in the arts, obscurity is a much bigger problem than piracy. Very good, very good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, I was so I vaguely recall hearing something similar to this from our local library system. And while you guys were chatting, I looked it up. The um, King County, I live in King County. The King County Library System um, has a model very similar to what you just described, Gary, where they um, uh, presumably they have you know, physical copies, but they have a digital lending library and it works pretty much as you described. They have an X number of digital copies that can be loaned out. Do they use right. the, Li- the Libby app? Um, they, Libby is available. Yes, it is connected up to Libby. Cr- Libby is great. Um, yeah. And the way, actually the way they do it. So the libraries, the way they do it is there isn't a physical copy, but they have purchased. They have a license, right. A right. license. They purchased so, something now. And, and they can purchase multiple licenses. They could purchase like four for a book and now they have four to lend out digitally. Exactly. So um, to, to quote a, um, a blog post here from KCLS, or yeah, KCLS, uh, oh gosh, yesterday. Uh, let's see. As people shelter in place, blah, blah, blah. Demand for online resources has risen dramatically. As of March 26th, KCLS has seen a... 392% increase in e-card registrations compared to the same period last year. So that means that basically four times as many people are registering for online library access. In response, KCLS has increased its digital collections so that e-card readers, or e-card holders, as well as regular library card holders can take full advantage of online e-books. So that's wonderfully vague right? They've increased its digital collection. Did they um, change the limit in software or did they actually spend money and purchase something, you know, purchase additional licenses for these books or did they do something else? It's unclear, but they reacted in at least not an unlimited way, but in a similar way to what uh, Internet Archive is doing by making more books available to more people as they are sheltering in place. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, one thing to think about is if you're in the market to buy a book, you can't get to the bookstores now, but you can still order online. Sure. However, if you're in for 
borrowing a book from your local library. You can't do that now either. But there is no online, I mean, there is no way to get the physical book from your library. Actually, so, there, there is at least out here. Um, oh, there is. You can yeah, request our, it, our, mail it. Our library will do mail. Yeah. Yeah, that's been it's wow. that's been in place for a long time. It's slow and it's painful, and you know, it's usually you're you know on a list forever for the books. But um, the idea is that yes, they will. They they used to. I'm sure it's still the case where they would mail you the book if need be. Huh. Interesting. Our so, library just closed down. They're not doing anything by mail. But I'm still using Libby, and I'm getting uh, audiobooks, which which works great. They seem to have a. It's the same sort of thing. They have one, one or a certain number of time, and I say I want to read a book, and sometimes it's available right away, and sometimes they're just like, okay, you know, we'll let you know. And then a couple of weeks later, and I usually I usually I use it mostly for audiobooks, although they have uh, eyeball books too. Um, eyeball books. Yeah. <laughs> the eyeball book section. Towards the back on the left. So uh, right. <laughs> And I recently listened to a book about uh, the cult of the dead cow, and uh, now before that, hidden figures. So, oh. yeah. did you get cool. any of the audio audio versions of Gary's books? <laughs> <laughs> now type this these eighty lines of flash code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Dot slash <laughs> square bracket quote. <laughs> right. So, do you remember when they would print barcode in magazines? Sure. It was some oh, yeah. kind of barcode. Actually, it might have been a predecessor to QR code. And you had to have, you had to buy this special reader. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know all about. I've interviewed the people who did all those systems. Did you? Yeah. 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 That's the kind of a thing. There, I mean, there actually is an audio version of that, but then all of a sudden this podcast would start sounding like a modem. <laughs> Why is that bad? <laughs> okay, everybody. You can start- understand that? Start, reco- start recording now. Pipe this into your text editor. We're about to play the text, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The, the, the barcode thing that almost worked was called Cousin Soft Strip. Uh, and, and there was another one that didn't work at all called uh, Data Bar Oscar. And uh, they, they, that one is a huge, expensive failure. But What was uh, the one that, that the, it had a little scanner that looked like a mouse for some reason mm, oh yeah using because it's like well it's not a mouse that's you a, you're, a mouse. Thinking, you're thinking of qcat qcat yes yes, yeah. yes. and yeah. that you could get the qcat scanners for free mm-hmm. and i so i got one never used it for anything but then the cool thing it was there was a hack for it later because it was just a barcode reader so you could actually get software that could use the qcat to read barcodes and when, when my wife and i originally set up the bookstore the used bookstore in 2001 mm-hmm. i used that so we could scan in the barcodes from books it was quicker than typing in the titles into the you know into our database mm-hmm. so it was like a free infrared barcode reader uh, that right. only, yeah, it was really now, now you can do, you can do that exact same thing with your yeah. phone now. Yeah. Your phone. Yeah. yeah. Just visually it could do it. Although yeah, it is interesting how like I would, I would, I'm trying to get rid of books and I wanted to see if any of them were worth anything before I just gave them away. And so many of the books I have predate the barcode or they predate the current ISBN database. So mm. it just comes up with, you know, uh, can't recognize the ISBN, but anyway, Interesting, because I, I use um, an app called MyFitnessPal to monitor caloric intake on my good days. On my bad days, I just, you know, eat and drink. But, uh, <laughs> on the good days, I'm, I'm actually monitoring what I'm eating, and, and it's driven off of um, the uh, UPC, and it's essentially a crowdsourced database so that if you um, uh, scan something, 
that isn't in the database, you are then given the opportunity to enter the information. Yeah, well, that's that makes sense. So, given just, given the opportunity, given the opportunity, <laughs> you're, you're, you're forced to do free work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another way to put it. It's another way to put it. Yes, and you know, if it's if it's something I plan on eating more often, I probably will do the work. Otherwise, right. it's like, eh, whatever. This giant Costco red vines isn't going to eat itself. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well enter the data. Uh, <laughs> No, there's so, been a run on. There's been a run on red vines, don't you know? <laughs> uh, I'm yeah, red vines. So speaking oh. of red vines, <laughs> which are super cool, what 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 else do you find cool, Leo? So um, I mentioned a couple of of episodes ago that I uh, recommended and enjoyed Star Trek Picard. Picard, um, and it just finished this last week. And as with all things Star Trek, there's a wide variety of opinion on, oh, my God, it was wonderful, to, oh, my God, it was a piece of crap, and why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do people that? People have well, opinions on people, science fiction People television? have opinions on science no fiction idea. things. Yeah. yeah. Um, nonetheless, I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I go in it for entertainment, not, you know, adherence to canon or something silly like that. And I really did enjoy the, the, the show and and watching several of my old favorite characters back on the screen. There was, <clears throat> at the end of the final episode, towards the end of the final episode, there's a song that becomes part of the episode. So I, have either of you two watched uh, uh, Picard yet? Not yet, but I, I intend to, so no, no spoilers, please. No spoilers, fine. There will be one minor spoiler, but not in terms of plot. Um, there, there's a song that gets played, um, like actually gets sung but, uh, during uh, one of the final scenes in the show. And it's actually a song that harkens back to Star Trek Nemesis. So they're actually pulling in from the last Star Trek movie, they're actually pulling in an interesting theme. What I did not realize, the song, in fact, I've got a link to uh, an audio version of that song. And it's just the song because actually they do in the episode, it's playing over a little bit of, of uh, dialogue and a few special effects, but the song itself is actually sung beautifully. And it's, uh, there isn't a, a soundtrack recording of it available and it's posted on YouTube. So I'll have a link for that in the show notes. The song is blue skies and it's, Turns out, I had no idea, the song is actually sung by one of the primary actors in the, in the series. And as it turns out, there's actually a kind of a behind-the-scenes video on this as well that uh, they had, you know, they'd cast the actor for this role and they'd done all this stuff with the actor. And then they were coming towards the end of the season and they were saying, you know, we'd like to pull in this song to pull things together from, from Nemesis. It, has, it actually has some really interesting um, story tie-ins from back then. And we really need a good singer to sing it over, the, you know, over this, this fi these final few scenes. And as it turns out, uh, they did not realize that the actor they had cast for this role is actually voice trained and uh, just was the perfect choice for doing it. So anyway, um, Blue Skies is the song. Uh, like I said, there'll be a link to it uh, in the show notes. It's done just beautifully. I truly, I truly enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, so much so that I actually, obviously, I, I brought it here, but I went looking for it the other day. I've listened to a couple of other versions of the song. And yes, I did rewatch Nemesis 
uh, over the past couple of days and, and caught up on a, a couple of the, uh, uh, the themes that got pulled forward as well. So anyway, Picard, I enjoyed it. Maybe you will, but um, at least listen to the music uh, as, this, as the final episode comes to an end. You'll enjoy that too. Well, I've been watching a show on AMC called Dispatches from Elsewhere, which is uh, traditional television, so one episode a week. And I've been enjoying it a lot. It's uh, from Jason Siegel, and he stars in it as well. And it's a really weird show. You know, it's not a typical show. St- stuff, Unexplained stuff happens in it, and uh, it's very surprising. So I'm enjoying that. So, uh, And also, it takes place in Philadelphia, which is where I grew up. And it doesn't just happen to be filmed there or happen to take place there. They actually kind of make the city a character in the show itself. So I'm kind of enjoying uh, seeing my old hometown um, represented in a pretty good light uh, in this show. I just hope, you know, it's kind of weird and unexplained stuff happens in the show. And I'm a little nervous that it gets a little too, I don't know, religious-y maybe, but I don't think so. I think it's going to head more into the sci-fi fantasy side of things. But uh, So we're talking ghost hunters, not... Uh... Well, no, uh, I, I don't know. There's just, <laughs> there's just weird stuff that goes on that suggests that there's, I don't know, more than just standard science happening. And I, yeah, I just hope as long as it stays science fiction or fantasy-wise, uh, all's good. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get too preachy. Are they building to some kind of a reveal or is this just more episodical? It, it's, it, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's mm-hmm. a type of show that from the first second is building to a, some sort of reveal or multiple okay. reveals. Okay. You know, think of like, it's not at all like it in plot, but think of how like Lost was just there right away from the beginning. They were like, what is going on? Right. You know, and you're slowly being like, okay, in this episode, we will answer your the three questions you have, but give you five more questions. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like that. But anyway, it's good, uh, good thing. And I'm pretty sure you could, you know, stream the uh, earlier episodes to start with episode one, uh, you know, from like the AMC app or just find them rerunning on AMC or whatever. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Kevin, I saw you throw a blank line in the document. Did you have something for us in this segment? I got nothing. Um, I recently <laughs> listened on in the, line. in the Libby app to uh, uh, Broadband, The Untold Story of the Women Who Made the Internet, a book, a book by Claire L. Evans. Um, gave it four stars on, on the Goodreads. Uh, I, I, I can recommend it. Um, it's a uh, book about women in computing. And frankly, my favorite parts of it were Earlier in the book, bef- even before the internet, there was a chapter about Ada Lovelace and and some of the uh, uh, and uh, Admiral uh, Grace Hopper, um, some of the the, the early uh, computing pioneer women, um, and then it got into some stories that I, I didn't know from uh, Internet Times and some of the the, the later uh, some of the, the early websites and and BBSs and things um, uh, around the United States uh, that were run by uh, by women, and uh, I enjoyed the book very much. Cool. Cool. We'll dig up for a link for that and throw that in the uh, mm-hmm. in the show notes as well. I've added it to my Audible wish list. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, you can get it free in Libby. Don't pay for an Audible. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have to author. You have to wait. You have to wait. Yeah. No, right? I will buy the book on Audible, okay. and and that money will go to Claire Evans, the author of the book. I can Great. see it now. I want it, I want it now. I want it now. I buy it now. And then it sits there for six months while mm-hmm. I don't listen to it. <laughs> Whatever. 
Uh, let's see. Blatant self-promotion. You know, this podcast is brought to you by Leo, Gary, and Kay. Um, on uh, Ask Leo this week, I answered an interesting question that somebody actually did ask. Uh, was basically, okay. Unlike the rest of the questions that you make up. Some of them actually, well, some of them are compilation questions, yes. But um, no, the, it's just interesting that somebody asked me, okay, great. You talk about backing up all the time. Fine. How do you do it? Um, and as it turns out, there's a striking similarity between what I recommend and what I actually do, which is uh, kind of unusual in this industry, I suspect. <laughs> but um, so I've got an article on that. How do you back up, Leo? Cool. Gary and I have uh, had a surprising episode where I uh, that a lot of people liked. I'm surprised that people liked it. It's um, was just an idea I had because so many people uh, tend to think of spreadsheets like numbers on the Mac as things that perform calculations, complex things that are not for me. And then I get people ask me the question like, "How do I? I want to create a list of all the books I own or the DVDs I own or right. something like that." Um, what is there a program on my Mac that'll do that? I'm like, do it at numbers. Oh, but I don't need to perform calculations in them. It's like, well, spreadsheets are great for keeping track of information, sorting them, categorizing them, all sorts of things. You don't have to perform numerical calculations to use a spreadsheet. So I did an episode on that and, uh, and yeah, it was pretty well received. And it, you know, it's like for, uh, for people like us, sometimes you have to take a step back and say, well, it's obvious to me that if I needed to make a list of 100 things and, you know, with various pieces of information, I would just put it in a spreadsheet. But it's not always obvious to everybody else. Yep. So it's good to, to talk about that sometimes. Telling them a spreadsheet is just a database doesn't help. Right. It's like, it's, it's, <laughs> oh, I definitely don't need a database. That sounds really complex. Yeah. Kevin. Okay. Um, the uh, I just launched a new website, which I've been working on for months, I promise you. Uh, but <laughs> the, the timing of its release is a little weird, but maybe maybe apropos, I'm not sure. Uh, the site is a call, is a deathplanner.net. The uh, site is called Final Directive, Get Your Life and Death in Order. And it has uh, end-of-life checklists and forms and worksheets and things to, to fill out um, before you die so that your loved ones know what you want. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I thought about not releasing it this month because even though it was ready, just because, I don't know, it seems morbid, but I guess the whole site's morbid anyway. So <laughs> yeah. right, no, It's interesting because I've, I've run into a couple of people, um, uh, attorney in, in one case, who basically has taken this as an opportunity to remind us of, um, you know, stuff happens, guys. It doesn't have to be a pandemic. Um, and uh, preparing is a good, good thing. Now, unlike you, my original thought for what I was going to share with this episode was an article I also re-released this week called Preparing for the Ultimate Disaster, which is basically my equivalent of, uh, you know, you've secured your, you've secured your digital world so well that even your relatives can't get at it. What happens if you're gone? But I decided that that was- Your secrets remain intact. <laughs> I decided that that was going to be too morbid to bring up today, so I didn't. Hmm. <laughs> well, but it I'm is. I'm glad it, you didn't show the same restraint, Kevin. We'll, sp it, we'll, okay. we'll space out the morbidity. You be morbid <laughs> next week. Well, it is. It is. So, uh, in my personal life, I I have a I will, and the strange thing is, is that you know most of that will, almost the entire document, really revolves around the fact that I had a child that 
you know, has to be provided for and right. there are things that, you know, you have to do in a will when you have has a minor to, in there. Has to is a little strong. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you have to go and spell. There's a lot to spell out in a will when you have a child, you know, what happens. And that I no longer have a child because she just became a legal adult, hmm. which means that I have this will that really 90% of it doesn't apply anymore. Right. So I had always envisioned right about now is when I should redo my will, make a simpler one. Um, and, uh, and, but it is kind of weird. It's like, it's like, okay, I'm honestly not redoing my will because of what's going on in the world. It's just, I now don't actually have a minor under, you know, uh, that needs to be represented in my will anymore. Just adults. So adults or at least individuals pretending to be so. Well, yeah. Yeah, So anyway, yep. Okay. I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh92. We hope to see you here again next week. Uh, by all means, if you've got a comment or a question, or if you've got uh, you know more suggestions for uh, communications apps, video chatting apps, and so forth, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at the teh podcast, or leave a comment on the show notes page. Thanks for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.